Hello, everyone. Welcome back to our weekly webinar series, Embracing Change. Um, today, we have a dear friend and professor, Peter Vogel, who was with us um, last year. And today, he's going to talk about philanthropy, the role of the family office. I'm sure we'll talk about the families themselves and the perspectives. So first, uh, Peter, thank you very much uh, for being with us uh, today. Your audio is off. And uh, would love to first welcome you and thank you for your time and the honor and privilege of, of sharing today. And I'm sure um, you're having an incredible time with all the snow that you have in Switzerland and uh, the beautiful backyard and the kids and the snowmen and the snowball fights and God knows what. Yes. <laughs> well, thanks for having me back, Faisal. Yes, up until last week, indeed, the snow was nice. Now it's gone. <laughs> oh, so really? It's raining that much? That's, that's what I Summer like now. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. So let's let's start a little wide. I want to start a little wide. I know you just finished publishing. Um, I guess I would still call it a book. It's quite a thick volume, uh, along with some of your colleagues. So let's start wide and say, okay, philanthropy. How has philanthropy changed in terms of where it's where the focus is, and then maybe look at the approach towards philanthropy, right? And, and then we can go to who's actually doing it and how it's being done. So maybe the last decade, the last two decades, I don't know, you choose the time frame and kind of walk mm -hmm. us through historically what's the evolution, and then we'll go into the roles and all of that, if, if that works for you. Is that okay? Yeah, perfect, wonderful. No, so, so I think what led us to actually write the uh, Family Philanthropy Navigator was that, that we've witnessed a transformation in the philanthropic sector. Um, you know, without being a historian, I think it's apparent that, that philanthropy has been done quite differently in the past as it is done today. And um, modernization, digitalization, technology, global connectiveness has empowered us, has enabled us collectively as humans to, to be hyper aware of what's going on in the world and to, to also with the click of a mouse actually donate to causes around the world. When, when we go back to kind of the traces of charitable giving and, and philanthropy in that sense, of course it has in some way started largely through religious type of structures and, and organizations. That's really kind of the past up until, let's say, the mid 18th century, when when we've seen kind of um, the rise of industrial families uh, and a new wave of affluent individuals and families, industrial families who, you know, and, and of course, we know quite a few very prominent examples, you know, in the US, the, the more visible ones are the Carnegie's, the Rockefellers, but but of course, the same holds true for other regions. And, and they started to get organized around philanthropy, then having foundations. Uh, but effectively, the approach to philanthropy was, was a very structured one, linear one in some way. You know, you make money with your company here, and then you, you, give, you give back whatever you might want to call it through the foundation over there. And it was reserved for an affluent kind of crowd. And, and today, through this modernization, through technology, there's a democratization of giving. And, and all these other things that are happening, we can talk about some of those trends uh, more extensively later. But so, so by and large, we, we see a quite exciting shift. I think philanthropy with all the positive sides to it has also suffered a bit over the last years and decades 
of being, you know, in, in particular with the rise of impact investing, where it's kind of the connotation, well, if you want to do something good, you know, impact investing is the new hip thing and philanthropy is the old dusty kind of approach to doing things. And and I think philanthropy is also benefiting from this modernization. And, and that really led us also to work on this because we feel like families of wealth, uh, enterprising families, family offices, through the rise of the next generation are also going through this transformation. And, and I think philanthropy, if done well and embedded well into the whole system, can be incredibly exciting and not dusty. So, okay, so you have all these industrial industrial families and, and so you're saying that you made money here, you gave there, now you have impact investing. So there's a blur now between impact investing and philanthropy or is it truly separate? Is, is, are the, is the next generation saying we wanna focus on impact investing and we don't necessarily need the foundation for, for giving or charity? Like what, what, where are we there? Yeah, so so I think blur is the is the right term, and and you know I just want to you know, we will not walk through all the slides in that sense, but but just on this one, you know, when you look at the traditional investment spectrum, we effectively talk about blurring lines. Uh, now they are very distinctively different types of activities, right? Where you have charitable giving with with traditional. Uh, giving uh, and 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 all the things kind of in between here, where where impact investing also falls in. But but of course, I think what is exciting and and what we see is that on the one side the world of business is being transformed and inspired by philanthropy-like types of uh, attitudes and behaviors, where we now see this drive towards purpose-driven business. You know, it started with CSR, which has been bashed in itself, but let's have purpose-driven business, you know, let's find a business model that is more sustainable, etc. So I think the traditional business world has been inspired by the world of giving and doing good. So the doing good while doing well type of mantra. But I think also philanthropy has been inspired by, and in part also put under pressure, to be honest, by things that are happening on the business side and in particular the impact investing side you know because i think now in the ngo space historically the traditional way was you know affluent individuals and families give money and then they do their thing and that's about it and i think in reality impact investing is also creating a bit of competition for the charitable industry so so the charitable industry has to innovate as well and and modernize and i think that's extremely good you think that uh, just going on that specific point, right? So the charitable organizations, do you feel that there's more pressure than ever to be self-sustainable? Because there's a lot of them that are not self-sustainable, right? That they're just bleeding. Do you feel that that pressure because of impact investing is coming or is that, is that really not there yet? Yeah, I mean, I think with the charitable organizations, I think it, whether you can be self-sustaining or not, I think in some parts depends on what you're doing. Uh, I mean, which type of areas are you focusing on and supporting? While, you know, I, I come from the world of entrepreneurship and I feel like yeah. you can always come up with a creative business model almost irrespective of what you do. I think you can always think about ways of creating a sustainable business, but I think there's still a right uh, having certain NGOs and charitable organizations that are that are not geared towards a business case. I think that's okay. 
Um, but but yes, I think in some way there, there is this pressure, at least in certain sectors, um, of, of reinventing also the way charity is done and philanthropy is done. Yes. And in terms of, let's say we take families, are you seeing that the older generation is holding on to the philanthropy side and the new generation is saying, come on, let's move on and let's focus on impact investing? Or do you see a balance? Or is, is that one of the new topics of generational continuity that's, yeah. that's impacting harmony? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, it's always difficult to generalize, right, with anything yeah. in life. Because, I mean, you will have very much impact-oriented senior gens and, and then maybe more traditional next gens and vice versa. I think you can, you, you always, life is always a Gaussian distribution in my point of view, and you will always find people on the extreme ends or in the middle. But, but yes, I think by and large, we do see uh, this kind of shift. And, and, and maybe here, again, I can, I can just share one slide, you know, because we do see certain patterns um, where, where, again, the next generation is acting as an agent of change. We see through technology, global awareness, we see democratization of giving. We see the shift towards impact uh, having having a positive impact and and thinking about orchestrated efforts towards impact, thinking about spending down meaning let's have an impact now, let's not create perpetual funds, but let's let's effectively make a difference now on certain issues and causes and problems. And then I think what what I'm particularly excited about is this kind of cohesive giving strategy where where, families are starting to think in a holistic way, integrated way, um, what is our big family purpose, ranging from the businesses, the investments, all the way over to philanthropy. And, and I think that is where, you know, where I'm super excited about and where, where we see some really, really uh, great initiatives popping, popping up by families as well. So, so fundamentally, I think there, there's a lot happening in, in that respect and the next generation in part, but not exclusively, but in part is, is definitely a driving force uh, for this as well. So maybe do you feel that if you share an example or two without obviously, um, you know, cutting into privacy, do you think it would illustrate maybe something a little more tangible? Because I, I don't want to stay up in 30,000 feet. Uh, <laughs> do you feel it would help? What, what, what do you feel? Well, I mean, of course, you know, we, we interviewed... Um, as we were preparing the book, we interviewed 70 families from around the world. Um, you know, not necessarily all hyper affluent families, but philanthropically active and engaged families. And what inspired us there was to understand the diversity and complexity of the world of philanthropy. And it really illustrated uh, to us that, that effectively philanthropy can be done in a gazillion different ways. And there is no one right way of doing it. And, and some really integrated in this very holistic way. Uh, others still purposefully keep it separate. Others combine it. Others, you know, leverage also a common purpose between philanthropy and impact investing. So, so I think it's very difficult to say, you know, this is one best practice example. I think we've just seen that it can be done in so many different ways. You know, what, what we saw and what we also want to achieve with this and help families achieve is, just to think in a very strategic way about philanthropy without making it a business necessarily, but seek inspiration from the world of business in terms of decision-making, in terms of governance, in terms of structures, processes, 
aligning around purpose and and ultimately execution. And so so I think with the examples, there are so many, and I would not necessarily want to just focus on one. I, I, I think there are again, and, and, and every family really needs to think about what is it that we want to achieve and just be incredibly honest about it. Why do we do this? And, and typically we see different driving forces. And, but as, as long as you're clear about the purpose of the giving, is it, is it to, for altruistic reasons, is it to unite the family, to bring them together around a common theme and discussion because there's only conflict on the business side. So let's unite about something where we can be passionate about across generations. Is it to ramp up the reputation of the company? Um, you know, and then from there, everything else follows. But I think fundamentally what we just see now is this desire to professionalize. And I think both on the donor side as well as the NGO side. And I, and I think, um, and that is very good. And, and maybe just an anecdote, I, I was, when I shared the prototype, the beta version of the Navigator for the first time, that was early 2018 at a, at a philanthropy conference um, that, that we held at IMD. There were less the families there, but more NGO executives and, and, and foundation directors and so on. And, you know, I shared this and said, you know, we're helping families become more effective and efficient in their giving. And then, you know, a group of NGO executives approached me in the break saying, you know, I think that's great. But please don't forget about us because now they're putting pressure on us and, and um, you know, kind of like we'll start sweating a bit. <laughs> yeah, but the thing is, talk about professionalization, right? So do you feel that the caliber of the people running the philanthropy side has really upped the game and getting more and more compatible to those who are running the businesses? Because that's been one of the issues, right? That a lot of people were not working in or being paid at that level in terms of giving, right? As Because giving is about a way of being, right? And yeah. this has been the biggest, like even myself with our own, you know, older gen, right? That they, yeah. they don't look at giving as a way of being. They look at it as a separate, yes. a completely separate, right? And, and not a oneness. So are you seeing the professionalization and the pace, you know, or-, or Not enough know? yet, not enough yet, but I think that's also our mission is to help okay help families. I mean, oftentimes the philanthropy starts with family members actually driving the philanthropic yes. activities. And then as time goes by and, and the initiative grows, then you get professional managers and so on. But, but I think, I think that's okay. I, you know, I think okay. again, if you think about what is the purpose of philanthropy, if, if the purpose is about uniting the family, bringing them yes. together around a common cause, then I think it's okay that the family runs it. And, you know, we've seen families where, where then, for example, the in-laws are taking the role in philanthropy because they have no seat at the table when it comes to the business or the ownership decisions, but it's their way to contribute to the system, which is great, you know, and then, you know, what is your KPI? Maybe, maybe the unity of the family and giving a purpose to every family member is more important than, maximizing and squeezing out every last percentage of impact on, on the cause. So I think that's where it starts with what do we wish to achieve? And, and, and then, of course, if you're, if you're very focused on tackling specific issues in the world or ramping up the brand's reputation, the, the company or the family's reputation, then I think you can probably strive towards more professionalism in how it's managed. 
if, if the driver is more about family related topics, educating the next gen, onboarding the next gen, intergenerational collaboration, giving a place at the table for in-laws or partners, um, you know, educating the next gen on financial literacy, wealth, responsibility, then you could argue, okay, maybe running it uh, like an investment firm or like the CEO of, of, a, of, of a company is maybe not the most necessary thing. I'm hearing you, it's being used as a glue, as, as a glue. Sometimes, yeah. Okay, only sometimes. It's not, it's not the main thing. That, that's just sometimes. Yeah, sometimes. I mean, I think, um, yeah, I mean, you see everything. I mean, you, you really also see that, that families then try to do something together and then they end up doing things separately because they realize there is nothing holding them together. And, and um, you know, one thing that we came to realize in the interviews and our work as well is that some families are trying to use philanthropy as a vehicle to forge together the family that might be broken otherwise, and then they fail because philanthropy cannot be exclusively leveraged for that. You need to fix things otherwise. Yeah. Um, sometimes it makes things even worse because you go into the heart of an emotional debate about what do you care about in life. It's a very philosophical type of debate when you think about what's my motivation to give yeah. and what do I want to give to. Uh, I mean, you go into the heart of, of each individual and if you already have tensions and one says it's education, the other one says it's climate change and the other one says it has to be healthcare, then then tensions can just escalate. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we've seen we've seen everything. We've seen it as a, as a great way to to bring families together. We've seen examples also where where philanthropy was leveraged to actually positively influence the business and the governance of the business and the family and the way in laws are treated, the way that that spouses are treated. Uh, in some cases, the way also the women in the family are treated. Yeah, we still have very traditional type of succession models as well where you know this can be culturally religiously or or just that it's the family culture where where for example you know daughters are, don't have the right to own and inherit or have an executive role and oftentimes then th they end up doing philanthropic type of work and we've seen examples where you know that has then actually positively influenced uh, the whole governance of the family enterprise system um, and uniting actually also the genders in the family around, around a common purpose. So if done well, it can be an incredibly powerful vehicle for the family. Um, but it, it's not the, the, the cure for every type of issue. <laughs> okay, so bringing in the family office, I mean, has the structure of the family office. So one is, what is the role of the family office? Has it helped? Has it complicated things? What, 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 what has been the experience of family offices and plugging in philanthropy, keeping it separate and don't come back and say it's 55 scenarios. Okay. Let's, let's try and narrow in a little bit. Not, 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 <laughs> okay. Not so it's 22. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I think, um, you know, from, from the interviews we've done, the vast majority of families have some sort of family office. Of course, family office is, is, is a universe in itself. And, and there is again, such a diversity, but, but we do see it, whatever form or shape the family office is set up, if it's used for wealth related topics, or if it's also for educational concierge type of activities, advisory type of activities, I think 
all of the ones we interviewed that had a family office also strategically levered strategically they leveraged it let's put the strategic as a bracket because i think many were not but they've leveraged the family office in some form or shape when it comes to their philanthropic activities it can be if they have a financial division in the family office which many have with financial experts then they would sometimes leverage them very concretely to do the due diligence on 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 invest investment funding opportunities um, or donation opportunities managing the inflow of requests that they have kind of like investment committee like uh, review committees um, or uh, having administrative type of services that can be leveraged for to support the family from a process point of view administration point of view tax issues but then of course uh, leveraging also when it comes to funding actually the um, if it's a foundation where's the funding coming from is it from the individual family members is it from the business is it from the dividends and and, and evidently there the family offices if they are structured well they play a critical role in these wealth related type of things and and then asset allocation questions and how much do we want to give into into the philanthropic side and and that's where I think family office executives come in and, and they can add tremendous value um, actually in helping the family navigate through these type of conversations. And, and obviously with the family office, do you feel the governance is a lot better because they already have that kind of structure and constitution or that's really not changing the philanthropic execution capability? Yeah, it's it's difficult to generalize again because because you know some family offices are set up. I mean, we have you know we we interviewed one family office that that consists of one person. I mean, it's an affluent family, but the family office is one person, and it's really more a secretary type of concierge support for the family, not doing anything on the wealth side. Okay. So in that case, um, the link to the philanthropic project. Is, is very vague and it's just helping with certain administrative type of type of activities. But then in other cases, it's really leveraged very strategically and, and where you have really a management team in the family office, in the single family office. And then uh, if, if, if the family principal says, you know, I want my family office to have, you know, a critical role in, in, in our activities, then, then I think we see actually the philanthropic side benefiting heavily. I think it also depends on whether you know you have the family office and then you have your foundation on the side uh, or whether you just drive philanthropic donations in a smaller scale out of the family office directly that's also something that that happens quite a bit you know of course philanthropy isn't always necessarily giving money it, it, it's largely around that but it's also giving time and networks expertise connections um, insights know-how and and, and that makes it less tangible. And, 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 but, but as soon as money is, is part of the discussion, then you, you can have part of the governance body of the family office be represented on the foundation board and, and, and so on. I think there are many ways how, how you can then very strategically connect the dots. Do you feel that it's, it's helping in terms of, philanthropy is helping in terms of relenching, you know, releasing control by matriarchs and patriarchs? Or do you feel that's not really... It's, I mean, again, I know I'm asking, I'm asking to generalize, but do you feel that's, no. like you said, it was a, in some cases it's being used as a glue, but what about on the power side in terms of kind of letting go, slowly letting go? Is, is, 
or, or is that actually being held on even tighter than, than the business itself? Yeah, I think also there we see a bit of variety, right? I mean, if the philanthropy is set up a bit as a, you know, the matriarch, the patriarch wanting to leave a legacy, if it's kind of my, my statue in the garden or park kind of initiative that I have my foundation with my name on top of it, then I think we see more power concentration around that um, because that's my legacy. Now, if it is, if but that is then my motivation is my brand, my reputation to to kind of live on when when I'm no longer here, right? That, that that's then my motivation, and then I see actually probably more power concentration, and the next gen actually struggling really really hard to inherit these type of inherit. You don't inherit a foundation, but you 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 continue to live with it, and uh, and. Um, then they struggle because it might be their great grandfather's mother's foundation that supports a village in some rural part of whatever country where they came from, where you maybe never have been to, and you're, you struggle with identifying with it. So, so there, inevitably, you have power concentration. But if it's done right, um, yes, I agree. It, it can be a way... If the senior generation permits it, it can be a very powerful way to to actually allow the next generation to to move more into the driver's seat, to take charge, to onboard them, to take responsibility. And, you know, just like we see also next gen entrepreneurship as one of those opportunities where generations can unite around a common activity and a purpose that is outside the legacy business, where sometimes we see this next gen comes in and says, you know, we need to digitize our supply chain. We need to, you know, put an e-commerce shop up where then the senior generation gets offended because they've run the business differently for 30 years saying, oh, you know, you, you, you offend the way I'm doing business. Uh, so we see a lot of that in the business and, and it can happen in philanthropy, but it's less likely to see that type of conflict. So, so I think it's a, it's a subtle way to, to start passing on the baton as well. Yeah. Um, in terms of structure, I mean, Switzerland is obviously a fantastic jurisdiction to be structuring the foundations. Is that, are you seeing a lot of that from the families you interviewed or because that's, you know, it is the destination, right? Quote, unquote. Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, Switzerland has uh, a very high density of foundations uh, per capita, right? I think it's one of the highest in the world, if not the highest. Um, then there are foundations that are that are known publicly, and then there are many that that are not even registered. So, so I think the number is actually quite large. Um, I mean, the regulations are always changing. Also in Switzerland, regulations around foundations are always changing. I mean, you know, in the past, the the, the approach of a family foundation was was very visible and prominent in in Switzerland, where the mission of the foundation is to support the family. Uh, which as a concept has been challenged quite a bit by the state and in that form doesn't exactly exist anymore unless it's a legacy foundation. But so, so I think the role and positioning of a foundation is also shifting in, in, in now Switzerland specifically. But then also I think um, we see huge regional differences when it comes to the way philanthropy is approached, the way philanthropy is structured, um, governed and then from a tax point of view, of course, you have regional differences, but also religious cultural differences where, you know, in some 
religions, you you just don't very openly, visibly talk about your philanthropic giving because it's just yeah. expected from you anyway as a good human being. Yeah. So so you know the way you structure things. You know, do I have a website or not? Do I talk about it visibly or not? There are so many factors influencing that. And do I professionalize? I mean, like any business, a professional business would evidently talk about what they do, right? I mean, you want as many people to know about your company as as possible. And philanthropy, that is not always the case. We we still see a good chunk of families preferring to stay very private, um, and and for for various reasons. I mean, uh, you know, I think again, it can be religious, cultural reasons that it's just not something you talk about. It can also be safety reasons and certain countries and regions that, you know, if they know that we're behind this business, this family office, this foundation, then people might assume we're relatively wealthy and that might then have a security issue for the family. So, yeah. yeah. So in, in a nutshell, I think there, there are huge regional uh, variances in, in the degree of professionalization um, of the philanthropic side, but also family offices, of course. We've got, a, we've got a question here. Would you like me to read it to you or? Uh, sure, yes. Okay, we see, we see currently, especially in Netherlands, high net worth individuals, especially young ones, approaching social purpose organizations directly and asking the social purpose organization for advice on giving. On the other hand, we see that philanthropy advisor offices in large banks do not have knowledge of all the social purpose organization in the ecosystem. Social media playing a crucial role in attracting young philanthropists. How can we bridge this gap how can we support these family foundations to be an inclusive impact strategy? Yeah, I think, I mean, there, there are probably a number of questions in this. I think it's a very good comment and I think it's not just uh, Netherlands specific, right? I think um, this is a global phenomenon that we see about the next gens getting organized around themes in groups and social networks. Um, I mean, yeah, look at what's going on now, uh, you know, with the investment world, with Wall Street bets and and all of that, I mean that's effectively a young crowd uniting around a common purpose, whatever that purpose is. It's just one example, but it can be anything really. And and of course that type of mindset and approach of acting and behaving, identifying more with a crowd of like-minded people on a social media platform is indeed quite powerful. I mean, we see it in the stock market these days. It can be incredibly powerful. It can be incredibly transforming. Um, you know, we, we, we see it with the kind of climate action movements of, of students. I mean, this was by and large orchestrated around social media platforms saying, you know, we call for impact, we call for change. So, so I think young folks, that, that is this third wave of philanthropy in an abstract way you know, because let, let's take, you know, the greater type of uh, initiatives around climate change. I mean, by and large, this is, you could argue, some form of philanthropy. It's advocacy. It's, it's kind of activism around an issue that needs to be fixed. They're not necessarily giving money themselves, but they're, they're lobbying, they're, they're advocating as a change. And, and yes, yeah, so, so I think young people, social media plays a huge role. And, and you, you made the point also, Eleni, around banks. And, and I think that's a huge topic. I mean, we, we discuss, of course, a lot with banks also. We run many next-gen programs for banks, uh, for, for the next-gens of their, of their clients in their ultra-high-net-worth divisions, high-net-worth divisions. And, and, and philanthropy is an interesting one, right? Because I think 
at least the way I interpret it. I'm not a banker, but I, I, I do work with them occasionally for, for their clients. And the way I see it is that most of them have some sort of a philanthropy advisory type of outlet within the bank, but, but it's not their bread and butter business. It's kind of like to almost something to please the family, the, the individual, okay, I'm listening to you, what you care about, but really I want to manage your wealth and, and get my con uh, compensation for that. You know, and, and I think overall the philanthropy advisory space is a tough one also, right? I mean, uh, when you talk to some of the philanthropy advisors out there, you know, it's really difficult to charge um, money for helping somebody to give away money. It's a very abstract type of business proposal. Uh, you know, pay me so I can help you get better at giving away. It's a very abstract type of thought experiment, right? So it's a lot easier to say, give me money so, so we can double your profits or whatever it is. We can optimize your, your production line. <laughs> um, so, so I think this advisory space around philanthropy is a challenging one in itself. Um, then banks, banks sometimes do it. Give away in an efficient manner huh? and in the most impactful manner. So yes. at the end of yes. the day, you are still providing an, a, a valuable advisory piece because at the yes. end of the day, there's lots of leakage, as you know, right? With bad quality yes. advisory. Yeah, no, and I think I agree. I think many families get that and they say, you know, if I give, I want to make sure that what I give is most impactful. And this is this kind of modernization we see. It's not kind of, you know, just distributing money and not asking questions type of thing. Uh, I think and, and that is where this 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 pressure to the NGOs is coming from that I was referring to before is that they start seeing these next gen donors also challenging what they're doing with the money. Um, exactly. Not saying I could do it better than you, dear NGO, and challenging the administrative fees, but 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 just give me the KPIs and show me what you're doing because, by the way, through my social channels, as we're speaking, I'm connected to 10 other like-minded organizations that I could easily yeah. be giving to. So, yeah. so yeah, yes. The feedback loop, right? I mean, the feedback loop is important, right? What is, what is you know, are, are we getting the, the data, like you said, right, to show and prove that you're making a difference, right? I mean, I remember in my own dad's generation, I used to wonder why they were just a whole group of business people. And it was because one person was there to get the approvals if they needed to build something, right? If you want to build yeah. a school, you need approvals, right? The other one was a real estate player who knows how to build. And the third one was administrator and the fourth. So they're all business people who had their own core strength and they were able to execute philanthropy at a pace and an execution capability that nobody had because they were all industrialists and, and business people. So how do you, you know, you're having those people challenge the ones you're talking about, right? And saying, wait a minute, show me and prove to me, right? And, um, but are you seeing that the admin fees are getting uh, tighter and, and, and more efficient? Are you seeing more efficiency, like when you did your research? Did you see that or not really? I mean, look, I mean, for, you know, to, to say we're getting more efficient, you, need, you would have to do a longitudinal study of the whole sector and see yeah. how things are changing. Um, that's not exactly what we've been approaching okay. because okay. also we, we've been really focusing on, on the families, the affluent families. Okay. We have not interviewed the NGO space at all for this project. 
so, so I think for that, you would need to longitudinally map and monitor NGOs and, and their reporting mechanisms and management practices, et cetera, et cetera, um, which we haven't done. I know others are working on these type of things. It's not our angle. Our focus is really on the family and how philanthropy embeds in the family type of activities. Okay. So I would not be the most gifted at responding to that. Has the NGO space really professionalized? NGO, even the family side, right? Or, even the family philanthropy side, yeah. Yeah, so, so I mean, I think there, yeah, we are starting to see that. Again, I, I think there is this drive towards professionalization and scrutinization of organizations that, that, they, that they give to, you know, asking more questions, asking for more reporting, asking for transparency, uh, and clarity on what's happening with the money that is given. Um, so, so I think that is happening. And also, and that is what we embedded in the book as well, in the learning section, because one thing is, of course, to put pressure on the, on, on the organizations you support. The other thing is to challenge your own beliefs and, and approaches and, and learning. So we have a whole chapter on learning saying you need to challenge your own approach and, and to become better and more effective and efficient internally as well around decision-making and whatever. Um, and, uh, and, and, and so I think there is a need for that as well for, for yeah, it's, it's, it's just a, like an annual review of what are we doing good? What are we not doing good? And where can we improve? And I, you know, our mission is to help families get to that. I think some are doing a great job, probably the vast majority, not yet. Okay. We've got a uh, quite a few questions oh, yeah. here. Okay. So, who are families looking to provide these philanthropic, their philanthropic advice if it's not banks? Who are their trusted philanthropic advisors in the ecosystem? Yeah, so, so I mean, I think there are many, many boutique philanthropic advisory firms that have really specialized on that. Yes, it's true. Many would go to their banks, but I think many also go to, um, go to these kind of smaller uh, advisory firms. Now we, I mean, we're an educational institution. We're not the consulting firm, right? So, so I mean, we're a nonprofit foundation as IMD. We do get requests around that as well. We typically approach it from an educational lens then, um, not from a technical fiduciary type of lens or legal lens. But, but so I think there are many specialized advisory firms out there that really do philanthropy advisory. Then there are the banks, of course, uh, that also do it. And I'm not saying they're not doing a good job. I think it's just, my, and that's my, my complete subjective observation of it, that it's for them an add-on to their core. They do it because it's important for their clients, but yes. the core of their business is elsewhere. So, so it's like an ancillary service to the clients to, to yeah, make the financial invest. The financial incentives are not aligned in that direction. So automatically... Correct. So what are your views on donor-advised funds? Is, is this a good vehicle for philanthropy? Did you see that in, in your research or? Yeah, I mean, I think that? some families are working with that. I think it's, uh, you know, a, a long, I think it's just, again, one, one thing that we see uh, towards professionalization in the philanthropic space. So I think it makes a lot of sense that we, that we see also more structured approaches to philanthropy bundling resources from different families and institutions to do things in a, in a very effective professional way. I mean, I think the same type of discussion that, that we have with what's, what's the value of a single family office, what's the value of a multifamily office. I mean, yeah, yeah. it's this, I, I feel like it's a similar type of discussion where 
we see many family, single family offices kind of doing their thing, but not necessarily in the most effective and efficient way. And I'm not advocating multifamily offices in that sense, but, but I think the right of existence of multifamily offices is, is exactly that, bundling and becoming more effective and efficient in what they do, uh, economies of scale. And I think in some way, yet differently, the donor-advised funds are, are, are somewhat similar, right? Bundling resources for effectiveness. So do you see multi-mission models of a family foundation working well? Are there families that you interviewed in that are in this type? Would this be an approach that could please different, sorry, could please different members when you mentioned that sometimes going deep into family members wish that may be very diverse, right? Because then you have that, that conflict with a lot of personal elements in it, right? So... So with multi-mission multi models, models. Yeah. yeah, so I guess with multi-mission models... Um, Foundations, are they working you, well or do they, they start, I guess it's dilution, la lack of focus. Um, yeah, you know. I mean, I, I think again, it depends on what is what are we trying to achieve. Uh, I mean, for example, sometimes we then see if, if, if you know, you have dozens of family members unite in a foundation different branches, inevitably you have different interests and different focuses in, in that group. And, and as a result of that, you know, will we all be excited about the same issue? Because it is a very, per philanthropy is a very personal activity. Yeah. So, so, you know, oftentimes you would then compromise by saying, okay, let's have different verticals that we focus on. We yeah. do education, we do healthcare, we do advocacy. But then the risk is that you spread yourself too thin. Yeah, and, and, and we do argue that with whatever you do, ideally you do focus to some extent. I mean, otherwise you get scattered very, very thinly and, and you don't necessarily, if you're striving towards impact, I think it does make sense to focus a bit more like with any business as well. Um, later on, as you professionalize, I mean, Amazon started by selling books. And then they diversified and now they're a little bit in almost everything, right? But but they didn't start by being a little bit in everything. If you start off with everything, yeah. then then you get distracted. But yeah. Yeah, if you're if you're a novice philanthropist, start focused and then I think you can diversify over time. But compromising on, well, you know, we're 10 family members with 10 different interests. So let's just put everything under an umbrella and then somebody kind of calls the shots today we give to... Yeah, yeah. That's probably a setup to fail kind of um, setup. <laughs> yeah. What are there? I mean, there's a couple other questions, but what are there any specific topics in the book that we haven't uh, we haven't looked at? Uh, well, I mean, I think there's so much we could look at, right? I think um, <clears throat> you know, effectively, I mean, with, when we focus on the book now, you know, I mean, we wrote it both for novice and established philanthropists. So, so the novice ones, I mean, they can really go through in a step-by-step -step approach. By the way, philanthropy advisors can use it also in their work. I mean, we see it as, a, as an open source platform kind of, you know, we want this tool to be used similar yeah. to Alex Osterwalder with his business model canvas. We, we want it to be used. If then somebody reaches out to us says, can you help us, you know, very happy to do that. But if they, if a, if a philanthropy advisor starts working with this and and creates his or her practice around this, even better, you know, the mission of our chair is, you know, the the, the family that endowed the 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 chair, the the Mauvernet family from Debbie Farm, uh, 
they said, you know, IMD, you, you, you have the oldest, one of the most impactful family business centers in the world. You work with the, with the most influential families in the world. Imagine if we were to get organized around philanthropy similar to governance and impact investing and investing and wealth. Why don't we talk about philanthropy as openly? Yes. What if? So their mission is inspire as many families as possible to, to give well and give better. So, you know, we use it as a platform. And, and <clears throat> so, so it's full of activities, full of exercises. And, and so, so you can go through A to Z. But if you're established, you can also just say, let's go deep into governance. Let's go deep into getting an impact strategy right or whatever. So, so it's kind of a multi-tool multi shop in some way. <laughs> So now, Peter, we're going to put on your philanthropic advisor hat, and we're going to ask, we're going to ask first as a matriarch patriarch, what are three words or three elements of device you would give them as a matriarch or patriarch, and then what would be the same for the next gen, right? Hmm. Um, you know, you 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 saw what you saw. You interviewed the seventy plus families. You've created this platform. You're there hoping to inspire, to really have people think through with purpose strategically, just like you, like they are in their businesses as they're making impact in the world, right? Um, what would be the three things? Again, patriarch, matriarch who are in control, let's say, and then the next gen coming in with maybe or, you know, a, a different view. What, what would you advise? Yeah, so so I, I think most importantly, I mean, there are, and it's interesting with when you look at different phases of your life, yeah. you you aim to achieve different things when it comes to philanthropy. You can do the middle one too, the CEO running the business too, if you want. You yeah, so, so, so I th yeah, so 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 I think there's kind of an evolution in yeah. in how you approach philanthropy, kind of, you know. Where, where then probably the, the last, part, last part of your life, it's, it's very much around legacy. It's around, you know, what, what will stay from me when I go? And, and I think that is a lot what we see in, in that later stage philanthropy. And the, the earlier you, you go to life, it's more about, I want to change things. I want to impact and da-da-da. And, you know, while I'm still around and I can see the change actually happening. And so, so, so I think it's a, it's a pattern. It's an evolution. So I think my 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 you know, my first advice to anybody really would be again why I mean the whole book is structured around the why what who and how and and I mean for me everything needs to start with why why do you want to do it get your get your motivation right and aligned and and there are you know there are so many different motivations is it is it around advocacy is it around um, you know being altruistic and fixing some some issue in the world? Is it around ramping the business reputation? Is it around all the family-related things we discussed before, uniting, educating, da-da-da-da-da? Yeah? Or is it, you know, very, very, you know, in some ways selfish to leave your own legacy? It's my statue, it's my foundations to make sure people don't forget about me when I'm gone. Um, yeah. And that's okay, but you need to know what you want to do and what you want to achieve. Without okay, so that's that, the why. Okay, so we got the why. The why so now they, you, okay, then yeah, you, it has to start with that. If you don't know, it's like with any company. I mean, if you don't know why you're doing it, what's the purpose? Yeah, uh, then then go back to the drawing board. You know, I, okay. I think that is just the most important. 
And then from there, you, you go into the what. Okay, now that I know why I get into the philanthropy, I can start thinking about what it is I want to do. What issues are we supporting? What causes and what regions? What geographies? Do we want to go broad or do we going to go deep? What are the things concretely we want to do? And then defining also, also the ambition level and thinking about what do we want to achieve? What are our KPIs? When do we feel like we're successful with what we're doing? So, so you know, it's kind of a sequence that, that needs to happen. And, you know, as a next gen coming in, you know, I think you need to, I mean, it depends. Do you want to create something from scratch or, or do you enter something that has been established by your parents or grandparents or whatever? Um, I, I think that's fundamentally different, right? Because if you start something from scratch, I think the, the process is about the same. Uh, if you enter as a newbie, as a next gen into an established structure, it's like with any succession, if it's in business or philanthropy or whatever, I think you, you, you need to be very gifted at asking the right questions, striving towards innovation and modernization, yet not upsetting the senior generation with, with every step that you take, um, trying to overthrow everything that has been done over the last decades. And so that's a fine line also where, where if there is an established or, uh, philanthropic structure, then I think the generations need to very masterfully collaborate uh, in this transition. If it's a new structure, I think, you know, you start with a, with a clean sheet of paper, it's, it's in some way easier. So, but, but it seems that, okay, the power is probably where the income is coming in. Is it, so the CEO and the matriarch patriarch probably have more power like they do in a business. Are they, are, are they the ones that they, the next gen has to lobby? I mean, you're saying asking the right questions, framing it in a way that's not offensive, that doesn't put them in defense, doesn't, you know, go into and poke their ego to a certain level. Yeah. But I mean, what, what are the skill sets? Are there skill sets? I mean, you've given very broad advice. Maybe, you know, yes, questions. Obviously, 95% of the value is in the question. 5% yeah. is in the answer because it keeps changing. But what, um, what, what, where did you see the muck-ups? Or where did you see the successes? Like, what, what did they do? What did the matriarch patriarch do or the next gen do where you saw, wow, that could be replicated, right? Because when you talk about the platform of inspiration, actually it should be also a platform of sharing of sure. best practices, Yes. right? So can you share a bit of best practices in that journey, right? You've got the next gen, you've got the CEO or whoever's running it, and you've got the patriarch matriarch. Kind of mm -hmm. give us a few best practices before we, yeah. um, you know, we've got 10 minutes left. No, no. So, so you know, I think again, if if it is if it is about me and my legacy, that's that's one thing. But now let's maybe focus on the more multi generational type of aspirations because I think governance wise these are more challenging. You know, if it's a if it's me leaving a legacy foundation, yeah. the Peter Vogel Foundation, you know, I I think I mean I set up a foundation, I put my money there, full stop. And then I get management in place. Uh, that, that's one thing, people I trust who can take care of it. But let's think about the more complex, exciting type of things, the ones that you yeah. want to uh, uh, have perpetuating in some way yes. around across generations. So I think, you know, I think on the one side, the challenge uh, for the senior generation will be very concretely to, to make it a platform that is inviting for everybody. We know, you know, we interviewed one family where you know, the father was very excited about creating this platform, but because he was consistently driving the show, consistently calling the shots, consistently doing everything, 
The next churn at some point said, you know, fine, I'll do my own thing. So, so failed. Uh, I would just put the stamp on it. Failed because that cannot be fixed. Uh, because then the next gen went off and then did something on his own. Now, um, you know, so, so I think the senior generation, if the, the, if the why is to unite the family around a common theme, you better include the next generation in all the discussions, right? And, 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 and get them on board early on in the process, listening to them, getting them into the governance structures, educating them, uh, letting them also call the shots and, and sometimes also hold back with, with certain types of advice uh, or opinions. For the next generation, of course, it's 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 about you know a yeah asking the right questions, but also you know coming up with concrete advice, being 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 active, being proactive, um, you know going out. If you think about we need to change things, evidently come up with well, what are the things we should change and why should we change? I mean, yeah, this is all common sense, but but we've seen we've seen examples where where this multi generational dialogue has worked really really well and it was typically because because there was a fertile ground for for generations to meet and mingle and exchange and learn from each other um, where both listened to each other but both also had their opinions and i think but it's the same for business succession as well i mean i, I think it's the same I, you know whatever we know best practices from succession in business we can effectively apply 99% to succession in philanthropy as well. Um, so, so yeah. But see, on one hand, I mean, when you're doing the business, you really run it as a startup, right? You, yes, maybe start with a few family members and build, but you try to create a structure, reporting system, accountability, visibility, etc. But mm -hmm. on the philanthropy, you, you know, there, it seems a little more blurry because your incentives are a little different or your objectives are a little yeah. different. So, so on one hand, we say use the same best practices, but if the why is not the same, right? It's it gets it. You yeah, know, that's why I'm asking. No, no you're right. Yeah, no, and of course, I mean the incentive schemes. I mean also, you know, then then it comes to topics like remuneration. Yeah. You know, does a family member who who takes care of the philanthropic foundation get paid or not, and how much? And then you compare it to the siblings who maybe run the business. Do they get paid the same because they're siblings and we as a family think business and, and philanthropy is both equally valuable. I mean, these are then very technical things where yeah. a lot can be done wrong. Um, you know, how, how do we how do we treat the family members that are involved in philanthropy by and large? Or are they just parked there because they cannot get involved in other stuff? That's also, I think, a big mistake um, is and, and we do see that sometimes that that that, you know, I mean, I think, yes, it's a good opportunity to give everybody in the family, let's say, something to do uh, if we want to be a bit brutal here. But but I think it can also be abused in the sense of creating different classes within the family. And I think that is probably not best practice from the senior generation. If if that kind of culture is established, kind of like, OK, well, you got parked there. Well, we know what that means. Kind of, I mean... Yeah, so, so I think the senior generation also needs to very masterfully say, look, this, this is our holistic strategy, our collective cohesive strategy. There is business, there is investing, there is giving, there is art collecting, there is real estate. And, and I don't judge. You are not better because you're the CEO of my business than if you run our philanthropic. So I think... 
but I mean, that's any, what would be the KPI? So what KPI did you see that worked on remunerating the, the, um, the giving side, right? If we don't have this old school, all siblings earn equally and all that. Okay. Let's forget that side, right? Let's talk about, so what would be a KPI? Because we have people on the call that are listening, whose, whose children are part of that system. Right. And, and who's, who are sitting on boards, who are, you know, setting up foundations. Right. So what would what would you say would be a KPI or, or a tool or a measurement that they could use to help, you know, I guess, lobby or can explain or share for for running that, you know, philanthropic because it's it's, you know, they're big numbers. Huh? We're not talking about pocket change here. Right. Of course, many a times it's not as big as the business, but still. Yeah, no, I mean, I think as you as you move towards um, kind of impact driven type of giving, uh, the easier it gets to have clear, the easier it gets to have KPIs. Um, you know, if we if we look and maybe let me just share this here again, you know, if we if we look at the navigator toolkit, the way we structured it is we said in the purpose, you need to look at your ambitions. What do we aim to achieve and what does success look like for us? Once you have clarity on that question, what does success look like for us? It gets a lot easier to measure the impact. Were we successful at achieving what we said we would like to achieve? Yeah. And then when it comes to compensation and blah, 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 you know, have we achieved it? It's a lot easier to answer once you know what you wanted to achieve in the first place. <laughs> so, so again, I think having a clear cut purpose with clear yeah quantitative or qualitative it's not yeah, always quantitative the, yeah. Yeah. but you need kpis in the first place but you need to revisit them that's where the learning comes in you need kpis it's like any strategic plan well what do we want to achieve in the short mid and long term kind of our our 2021 strategy and our three-year rolling strategy like in a business i think exactly the same should apply to philanthropy in terms of you know if the funds come from the business, it's always a percentage, then it's fixed. But if you, yeah. if you, if you raise funds from family members individually, then you could also say, you know, let's, one of the KPIs could be also, has the person done a good job lobbying the family to, yeah. to equip the foundation. But then also depending on the causes you support and if it's quantifiable or not, making sure that you work towards your ambition level and you, you, you achieve this kind of desirable impact. So I think you can, you can, you, once you have the KPIs, you can measure and benchmark against it. And then you can think about compensation mechanisms that are linked to that in a, in a fair, just way, like, like any manager. Yeah. Okay. We're, we've come to the end. So I'm going to uh, have the honor to share your, your deck with, with all yeah. of those who registered and, and uh, attended. Um, I would also like to ask how could they access your book? I know I physically gave books, but obviously I had five copies you physically um, had given me. Um, how would they be able to? So if you can share that with Jamie, it's okay. We'll, we'll send that as well as to how they could access a copy of the book. And, um, in, uh, in, and as, as, as we close, any closing remarks you like to share, some things people should reflect on or, or think about as they move forward in, in the space of philanthropy as families or at advisors or where, whatever position they're in. Yeah. No, I mean, I think, uh, yeah, first of all, thanks for having me. Of course, we'll, we'll share the material um, also where you could get the book. 
um, reach out whenever you have any questions. I think, you know, with philanthropy, like with anything, uh, you know, if, you, if you're not active yet, you know, get started, get, get your hands dirty and, and, and start working on it. And don't expect everything to be right in the first place and embed the learning into it from the get go. And if you have something, then, you know, what one of one of our missions with the book was also to give an excuse to families that have structures in place to sit down and challenge the status quo. It's incredibly difficult for the next gen or for any family member, really, to challenge the status quo, the way things have been set up. And in some way, we want to give an excuse to do that uh, because they can always say, well, they ask the question. It's not me. They say it. So we have to do this activity. You know, they they give us this activity. So so you know, we are there. Yeah, we have to fill in this note uh, that the book asked it, not me. So it's, I think it's a neutral territory. It's a very Swiss approach to maybe uncovering some of the hidden dilemmas in the family. Um, and and I would love to see this leveraged in a positive, constructive dialogue dispute kind of way where where family members can get together and and just very openly constructively debate about what should be done and different opinions will lead to debates because not everybody has the same especially on philanthropy because it comes from the heart and every person is different so you know don't shy away from from that constructive debate with the family and, and, you know, whenever you get into situations where it might get a bit tough and tricky, you know, use the, use the book as an excuse. <laughs> Say, well, look, you know, we're having this debate because the book told us to have this debate. It's not that I disagree with you or you disagree with me because back then, 10 years ago, that's what happened, right? But, but it's not that. Let's get over that. Together, we want to achieve something, and, and the book is asking us to do things in a structured way, so let's do it. Uh, and so, so, so that's our ambition uh, with this. And um, yeah, so, right, so, so I mean, thank you very much, Peter. I wouldn't say the book, I would say Peter, so that way we personalize it. So we know there's at least uh, the hitman knows who to go after when necessary. Uh, uh, we personally, right? So, one thing I would, I mean, first, A, thank you very much. Really, really amazing to have this conversation um you know we will share as we said the the deck as well as how to access the book but at the same time maybe you want to consider i mean we've seen it in a lot of our our communities where we've created platforms for people to share best practices between families i mean i don't know if you're you're looking at doing that but i think that would be something that would be incredible so that way we don't continue to pay school fees that others have already paid Right, and that's what we call leakage, right? So I think that would be something that a lot of the people on this call and their next, you know, families would benefit from learning. Okay, so how did they create the KPI? What what did they look at, you know? And and how did they have those conversations? I know the good the book is a great framework to begin, but no. then kind of you know be yes. able to to listen and 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 connect with other families that that have really done a phenomenal job. Yeah, and I think, you know, maybe last point on that, I think uh, the learning from other families is always good. Um, I mean, we, we run these type of events. Of course, now this year, we plan to launch a dedicated, actually online kind of two, three-day masterclass on family okay. philanthropy. That could be one way also to share and exchange yeah. and learn. The yeah. wisdom, as you say, is typically in the room. Yes. We provide the framework. The wisdom it doesn't lie with us. The wisdom is with, yes. uh, with the experience. 
yes. we orchestrate, we, we moderate. Yes. Right? That, that's the profession we have. And yes. we've seen a few things. We can contextualize discussions, but um, the proof is in the pudding and the experience. So, uh, yeah. All right. Thank you. Thank you. So thank you, everyone. Uh, we'll see you next week. We're going to have Dr. D back talking about consciousness, the subconscious, and how to, how to hack it. And uh, the week after, we'll have Anissa back. Um, we haven't decided the topic yet, but uh, it will surely be interesting. So thank you, everyone. Thank you again, Peter, for your time. Uh, your children should be home soon, so um, time for lunch. So bon appétit, and uh, thank you, everyone, and see you next week. Bye. Thank you, everyone. Take care. Thank you.